2: Welcome back to another episode of the Packaday Podcast. You can get all your Packaday updates by following us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I'm Kyle Fellows, and I am here as always with Andrew Mertig. Andrew, uh, welcome. It is Friday, so it is always good to be back for another edition of the podcast definitely it, it is great to be back I think your voice cracked a little bit in the intro
3: so that that's always entertaining and uh, tomorrow's episode is actually going to officially wrap up season two of the pack of day podcast so uh, it's been a phenomenal two years thank you so much to, to everybody who's listened everybody who's interacted with us on social media um, this is really just a passion project that we do for all of you. So thanks so much for for uh, helping to uh, make this worthwhile and and something that that we have really enjoyed the entire time. So Kyle, kind of some rough news, right? This we we found out rookies didn't report on Thursday. We we found out earlier in the week that there's not going to be any preseason football. So we still have hope on the horizon. That the regular season is going to happen, and and that will go off without a hitch. We heard some plans about how stadiums will be filled, but um, one thing that that came about on Thursday was the announcement that the Washington football team, as we've been referring to it for the last two years, is now officially the Washington football team. So number one, I feel like we deserve some credit and some monetary, uh, you know,
2: uh, compensation.
3: Compensation. Yeah, we need we, we deserve some compensation for coming up with that idea yeah. in the first place. Um, but second, I mean, is that a good idea, Washington football team?
2: Okay, for starters, there is no way that they come, came up with that on their own. They clearly stole Washington football team from us. That's just, there's a lot of things that you could pull out of thin air. That's not one of them. Clearly, they do need to support us uh, financially. Uh, here's the thing it is hard to change something so big as as a name of a football organization so quickly and i think one thing that factors into all of this is the tension in washington is not just in the name of this team. There's so much um, in the organization from its ownership uh, and its structure that is probably in flux right now and is potentially changing. And so I think that this is a thing that we're, we're, we're approaching a season and they got to play football in this season. And so rather than pushing to get this all done in the next four, six weeks before football, they've made a decision here to go with something a little generic and while it's boring Um, I've made fun of it plenty, you know, it's something that I think that they have probably done intentionally here because there's so many questions around this organization and it may not make sense to have some that are in leadership be the biggest, uh, I don't know what the word is, but influencers of this big decision going forward when they may not be essential parts of that organization going forward. So lots of things in the mix here that I think make this really interesting.
3: Yeah, and just purely from a public relations and a marketing standpoint, I think it is a good decision to just stick with a generic. Washington football team for a year, rather than making a rash decision and having it blow up in your face. And one example that I can think of is certainly, you know, within the state of Wisconsin, we have Marquette. Um, and Marquette used to be called the Warriors, and then they changed to the Golden Eagles. And, and alums of Marquette University have been up in arms about the Golden Eagles for years and years. And um, I, I would say maybe about 10 years ago, uh, they the, the university was planning to change the name from the Golden Eagles because people disliked it so much. Um, and what they came up with, what they were releasing, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, Kyle, but they were going to change their name to the Marquette Gold. Just... That was what they came up with. <laughs> the Gold. Okay? So that blew up in their face. It hit social media and the university just got trashed and oh trounced. My. And that's what can happen when you don't do your market research, when you don't find out what the fans really want. And you you, you kind of, you know, people, they want the old mascot and they don't want this new one. But then they, they hear a third option and they're like, oh, OK, well, Golden Eagles might actually be OK. Um so I think you need to be careful. I think you need to to let the process play out. This year is going to be weird anyways. So let's just make it even weirder and have a football team um, <laughs> under that name and we will, uh, you know, I, I think the, this sets them up to be able to make a really intelligent decision. And, and I think, you know, your point is a really good one and not one that I had necessarily thought of either, right? Like all this turmoil at the top, like don't make a decision now when potentially you're going to have a bunch of other changes coming within the organization.
2: Yeah, I mean, it could be a selling point if uh, a certain owner was forced to sell the organization that the new one gets to pick the new name of the team. I don't know. We'll just so, we'll so just they did go with there. just the Washington Red. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that could be a, a mistake. But I, I mean, it's it is interesting, and you make a really good point because I think the Washington Football Team um, to avoid association with the old name. It is a tradition rich franchise. And so it is really important going forward that they figure out a way to not dilute that. And I think that that's really important. Obviously, it's important we replace the name, but if they like you reference Marquette, they change the name and then they consider changing the name again. You know, as the further down the line you go, that that tradition gets really watered down and and it's, and it's kind of unfortunate for that fan base. And those kinds of things. So something to keep an eye on there for sure will be interesting to see what that name is when they get there. We've seen a lot of fun things floated, um, but obviously they're going to take their time. And I, I think that in some ways that's OK.
3: So we we have an actual topic to get to today, so I'm going to let
2: you get us kicked off there. Is this a is this a Packers podcast? Should we talk about eh. All right, so we'll see, I guess. All right. uh, If you've been listening to us, you know that we are right now in the middle of a project to get to know every single team on the Packers 2020 schedule. Uh, We wanted to take a look at what each of these opponents has done this offseason to get better. So we're looking at their drafts, their free agency moves coaching changes, anything that we can to gain a clearer picture of these teams Green Bay will face this coming season. And we've made it almost all the way through this schedule. We have three teams left to cover. And so today we're going to put a cap on this project with deep dives into the offseason moves of the Philadelphia Eagles, the Carolina Panthers, and the Tennessee Titans. It's interesting to me that these Three teams that we're talking about are in very different places as organizations. The Eagles are kind of that team that if they could stay healthy, everyone expects to be a fringe playoff team, but they really haven't been able to get over that hump again since their Super Bowl victory just a couple of years back. The Titans are all of a sudden a really good football team. Um, At least that's kind of how they finished the season last year. So um, that's where they're at. And then, of course, the Panthers uh, will look totally different as a franchise with new coaching, new quarterback play, as they kind of revision their franchise going forward. So I'm excited to get into these three teams today, Andrew. So let's jump in. Uh, You want to start with Philly?
3: Yeah, I was checking out the Philadelphia Eagles roster, and they don't have Randall Cunningham or Seth Joyner or Clyde Simmons or Reggie White anymore. So um, I had to to actually refresh my tab and and get into the right decade. But uh, yeah, the Eagles, uh, they they had some changes on the roster, um, significantly more than I actually remember. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why we do this exercise and look back. Uh, so they did bring uh, several guys back. They brought back cornerback Jalen Mills, although maybe he's going to play safety. We're, we're not totally sure what's going on there. Uh, running back Corey Clement, punter Cameron Johnston, quarterback Nate Sudfeld. Uh, safety Rodney McLeod and uh, left tackle Jason Peters actually had been sitting out on the market. There was some thought that maybe he was retiring. Maybe he was going to go to Tampa Bay and play with Tom Brady. Um, He actually got brought back because of the season ending injury um, and is looking at and possibly playing guard this year for the Eagles. So um, that's that's a nice street free agent to be able to bring in um, at the last moment Um, in free agency. They lost linebacker Nigel Bradham, edge Vinnie Curry, defensive lineman, Timmy Jernigan, quarterback, Josh McCown running back, Darren Sproles quarterback, Ronald Darby wide receiver, Nelson Aguilar tight end, Richard Rodgers. We know him uh, running back, Jordan Howard, right tackle, uh, H. Vitae, I'm not try to his first name. big V as I like to call him, uh, and safety Malcolm Jenkins. So that is a long list of people exiting the franchise. Um, in free agency, they went out, they got defensive lineman Javon Hargrave. That was the big signing of the offseason for the Eagles. Uh, they got a really, really team-friendly deal for cornerback Nicola uh, Roby Coleman, the slot corner extraordinaire. Uh, they brought in linebacker Jatavis Brown and also safety Will Parks. Uh, and uh, they were pretty active in the trade market. They they bring in Darius Slay from the Lions. And we talked about that quite a bit in the podcast a few weeks ago when we talked about the Lions offseason. Um, and they also traded for wide receiver Marquise Goodwin from the 49ers uh, during the draft, I believe. And, and so one of the things that's interesting to look at this team, you see all this exodus of talent. And they did bring in some really interesting names they also gave out some pretty big contracts to cargrave and darius slay and you look at next year and i i tweeted about this probably about a month ago for all of those people that think that the salary cap is a myth look at the philadelphia eagles for 2021 <laughs> they are currently anticipated to be 54 million dollars over the cap And there are some obvious cuts that are out there, but not $54 million worth. And if the salary cap goes down, this is an organization that is going to be facing a major, major change. Um, And so interesting... Uh, you you can't punt on the salary cap every single year, right? Like, you can't just keep pushing these bonuses back year to year to year, or eventually this is what's going to happen. So for all of those people that are like, let's push all our chips to the table in Green Bay, this is one of the reasons why they don't do it, because eventually that catches up with you, and you have to pay the Pied Piper eventually.
2: And, and, uh, you know, it looks like next year is going to be the year for Philly. And what a year for it to come together if, If COVID ends up having an impact on the salary cap, like some people think it might, I mean, the NFL is going to want to spread this out. The Players Association is going to want to spread it out as much as possible. But my goodness, can you imagine being $54 million over the cap and then having any kind of a salary cap reduction? I mean, the Eagles are going to be in a world of pain next year. So if you're an Eagles fan... You better hope that you liked what they did this offseason because this is your year, baby. But uh, if you're in financial trouble, the solution is to go ahead and get younger and cheaper. And we certainly saw the Eagles do that this offseason. You mentioned all of the aging vets that the Eagles either let walk or released. And with that kind of talent out the door, the cost-effective way To replace them is to turn to our favorite NFL draft. So let's take a look at what they did in the 2020 draft this year. Um, In the first round, they took wide receiver Jalen Rager from TCU. Second round, Jalen Hurts, quarterback, Oklahoma slash Alabama. Uh, Round three, Davion Taylor, the linebacker from Colorado. Safety, Kayvon Wallace from Clemson. Uh, another fourth-round pick, Jack Driscoll from Auburn, the guard. And then in round five, they took John Hightower from Boise State, wide receiver. And then six, uh, three six-round picks here. They've got linebacker Sean Bradley from Temple, wide receiver Quez Watkins from Southern Miss, tackle Prince Tega Wanogo from Auburn, and then defensive end Casey Tuhill who I've never heard of in my life. But good on them for taking him in the seventh round there. I was a I was a big Jalen Rager fan, and I thought he'd be a nice pick for Green Bay at 30. So him coming off the board at 21 was a big bummer for me. And Rager going to Philly was interesting to me as well, because they're kind of still searching for the future at wide receiver here. They have an aging and always injured Alshon Jeffrey. And they have Deshaun Jackson, but he's getting older, too. And I kind of view Rager as that really nice complementary piece for an offense, not maybe a, a future number one type. So I'm curious to see his involvement in this Eagles offense and the plan that they have for him. I liked Jack Driscoll a lot as a high floor kind of a player, someone who could develop into a starting guard or could play tackle in a pinch. And then they got Prince Tego Winogo in the sixth round after some kind of had him as that developmental day two kind of tackle. So I like this draft for the long term for the Eagles on offense, especially, I think they made some nice picks here. And so it'll be interesting to see how all these players, if they can get on the field early in their careers, but a lot of interesting pieces here.
3: Yeah, and I wanted to run through a little bit of what I thought about uh, the, the players that they ended up drafting um, when I was doing my player evals, and and Jalen Rager is certainly an explosive athlete. He was the top long jumper in the nation when he was in high school. He's quick in and out of routes. He high points and hand catches jump balls through contact, which you'd expect because he's an explosive athlete and an awesome jumper. Uh, he had too many body catches over the middle that turn into drops, but he can be really special after the catch. Um, there's a uh, extra gear at the top of his routes to separate, you know, that they, they talked about him reportedly having run a run of 4.29 40, uh, route running is going to be a question mark because what he was asked to do at TCU was basically screens and, uh, running the go routes you don't need the marker to tell which receiver he is because he always lined up on the same side of the field. Um, you know, blocking is something that's definitely going to be need needed to be worked on because he ran a lot of decoy routes instead of actually blocking um, a really good punt returner in addition. So could he be somebody who could replace Deshaun Jackson? Sure, absolutely. I, I think that's something, you know, I, I think that's maybe the top end of, of what you would be looking at um, from a guy like Rager. So, interesting pick. Um, I'm with you. I didn't see necessarily somebody that's going to be a dominant number one just because of, um, at this point, he's got a lot long way to go with his route running. Jalen Hurts, you know, uh, what I had to say about him is he's not very accurate. He's not going to put his receivers in a great position to succeed after the catch. He can make most of the throws with his arm strength. He's dynamic with the ball in his hands, throws well on the run, uh, gets stuck majorly on progressions, and sometimes forces the ball when he just absolutely shouldn't. Um, needs to be in a quick read offense if he's going to play early. So maybe, you know, if if he is forced to play in Philly, they they run a little bit of that RPO stuff. Um, and, and he could be very, very good in that if he gets to um, you know make the read with the ball in his hands and then have a, a hot receiver. Um, but if you're asking him to do the traditional drop back and, and pass and progress through um, the receivers, he is not going to be able to do that. I, I, I actually don't even know if he can identify coverage at this point. So long way to go in his development, but certainly a lot of tools there to do so. I didn't even look at, Taylor in my top 200. I think he was the first player drafted this year who didn't make my top 200. So obviously I didn't think he was a great value in round three. Um, But I did like Kayvon Wallace. uh, Good moving forward, uh, sticking his nose in traffic to make a tackle Um, in open field. He isn't always consistent with his, his tackling, not top end speed like not not great top end speed um but he is a hard hitter good anticipation in zone um jack driscoll uh is somebody i i think you nailed it somebody who could be a, a pretty good guard in the future um prince tega in the six for me is a is an absolute steal as a development offense tackle if you can get those guys in the six that that's exactly what you want to do even when you have good depth at tackle like like the eagles do um and you know so the Eagles is it's really interesting to analyze their draft because they do tend to draft pretty closely to what the the draft pundits boards look like. So it's easier to get behind their draft than a lot of other teams. Um you know like the the Seahawks that that have a much different way of evaluating talent than than you know the the sort of common perception of how you do it. Um even so though, the Hertz pick is a major head scratcher with Wentz under contract and I just don't get the Davion
2: Taylor pick at all. Okay, so before we move on here, you said some things that have got my brain thinking a little bit and the Jalen Hurts pick is an interesting one, right? And with all the drama surrounding the Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love and that and that pick. This Jalen Hurts selection feels like it should be a little bit more controversial to me. I mean, Carson Wentz is a young quarterback, but his injuries have hurt this team several times. And Hurts is a fun chess piece. He has that dynamic personality and he has that it factor uh, that his teammates have rallied to in college. So it will be interesting to see how the Eagles plan to use Hurts. And if we see some more drama surrounding the quarterback position in Philly, sooner than later. I actually had my producer here um, pull this up while you were talking. I was listening to you, I promise. Um, I There is a potential out in the Carson Wentz contract after 2021. It'd be costly. They'd have to eat some dead cap. But if the injuries continue, there's some drama here that could unfold. It'll be interesting to watch. But using a second-round pick on a quarterback, if you don't intend to start them, is kind of weird to me. So I am curious to see how this kind of works out. Yeah, and Carson Wentz is somebody who looked like
3: he was on the way to an MVP season a couple years ago, and the injuries hit. Foles takes over. He doesn't quite get them back to the Super Bowl. Um, you know that I, I believe that was the double doink victory that uh, they had against yeah. the Bears um, that year, and and they they kind of fizzled out in the next round of the playoffs. Wentz hasn't been the same since, and so you wonder. Number one, can this guy ever be healthy? And number two, is his play now affected by those injuries piling up? And and you just don't know the answer. And so investing a high-ish pick in a quarterback seems somewhat justified. I don't know that Hurts is that guy, but um, if you need somebody to come in, um, he provides a, a certain dynamic that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. So um, interesting to me, I I don't love it, but if
2: if you're – You know, if if you're the Eagles, obviously you're behind this and and you see the value there. And you talked about the financial implications of this team as early as this coming offseason. And obviously, um, if if a quarterback like Wentz, who has a ton of promise, continues to get injured, that conversation creeps in with the money as well. At at some point, do you move on to the guy who's on a rookie contract that was drafted in the second round that doesn't cost you anything and and might help you get into um, maybe a place where you aren't Really, really salary cap poor. So something to keep an eye on there. Really interesting stuff. Um, all right, I'm going to take a lead here on whether or not this team got better this offseason. This, off the top of my head, I could be wrong here. I feel like Philly has been one of the most injury-plagued teams in the league the last couple of years. And so health is a major factor going forward for this club. But when you look at what the Eagles have assembled on the offensive side of the ball, this could be a really dangerous team. And it, it all starts up front. Obviously losing guard Brandon Brooks uh, to injury is a huge blow to this team. He graded his pro football Focus's number one card in the league last year. Uh, but the Eagles also have Jason Kelsey at center and Lane Johnson at tackle who are dominant at their position. So if they can get a jump from Andre Dillard, this offensive line has a chance to be one of the best five or so in the league. And then you look at the weapons and they've got the big guys. They've got Erd Scott, Arsega, Whiteside, Alshon Jeffrey. And maybe those wideouts don't really excite you all that much, but they've added speed for days in guys like Marquise Goodwin and John Hightower and Jalen Rager now, and when they already had Deshaun Jackson in the fold. So for me, the pieces are all here on offense for the Eagles to be a pretty explosive group, and they're going to have to be because this defense has some huge question marks, and that's the flip side of this. Their uh, defensive line group of Fletcher Cox, Hargrave, Uh, Barnett and Brandon Graham should be very very good but everything else behind that defensive line is kind of a mess and they're going to need guys like Darius Slay to have big years to get this defense going in the right direction so I see two sides of the coin here with Philly I think they got better on offense and health is going to be a big part of that but I think their defense took some losses that I think will be hard for them to replace at least right away for this team
3: yeah, and I said last off season I thought the Eagles had the best roster in the NFC. So obviously I do value their talent level, but there's no way that I could argue that they got better this year. Uh, they could uh, be a really explosive offense with all the crazy speed at wide receiver. By the way, side note, you, you mentioned a bunch of their receivers, right? Arcega-Whiteside and Nelson, Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson. Um, the the rookies watched for their cuts because somebody's not making it, right? Like you got Marquise Goodwin, you you got Jalen Rager, um, and now you add a, a guy like John Hightower, who I, I think a lot of Packer fans and, and draft people liked a lot, who's going to be a fringe roster player. Quez Watkins, who's another really speedy dude, who's going to be a fringe roster guy. Greg Ward, who looked good last year, another guy that's going to have a hard time making this team. Um, and those cuts... That guy could end up being Packer wide receiver six, may, maybe five, um, if, if they don't find that guy on the roster uh, during whatever training camp is going to look like. <laughs> I do like their pass rush. I don't love the contract that they gave an aging Darius Slay, but he'll really help them out this season. Um, they better win the Super Bowl this year because they are about to get gutted next offseason, and I really don't think they did enough to be a really serious contender in what is going to be an absolutely loaded NFC. So, yeah, this is a tough game for Green Bay, but it is a game you have to win if you want to make the playoffs.
2: Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, flip the switch over here to the Panthers. We did our diligence on the Eagles. That was fun. Um, The Carolina Panthers are in a little bit of a different spot. So right out of the gate, the Panthers made it a priority to lock up some of their own uh, with some contract extensions. First, they signed Christian McCaffrey to a four-year, $64 million contract. And we're seeing some of these running backs get paid. So uh, it can't be ignored, though, that McCaffrey is just as much of a receiver as he is a running back. So good for McCaffrey getting his big payday this offseason. Carolina also re-signed Safety Trey Boston to a three-year $18 million deal. And Boston is the guy who every offseason seems to be taking those one-year prove-it deals for whatever reason. He's a really, really good player. So personally, I am happy to finally see him getting rewarded for his play and sticking there in Carolina. Uh, and then the Panthers brought in some outside help. They signed wide receiver Robbie Anderson, who I know a lot of Packers had Packers fans had their eye on this offseason. Defensive end Stephen Weatherly, linebacker Tahir Whitehead, defensive lineman Zach Kerr, and then, of course, quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. So uh, they also acquired to tackle Russell Okung in a trade with the Chargers that required them to give up guard Trey Turner. And then they traded away. Quarterback Kyle Allen to Washington, the Washington football team, for a 2020 fifth round pick, which is Probably more interesting to me than it should be. But a fifth round selection seems like a high price to pay for Kyle Allen and new Washington Sentinels coach Ron Rivera is certainly well acquainted with Allen here. So if things don't go well for Dwayne Haskins early on this year, I would keep an eye on Kyle Allen to maybe get some consideration from the Washington Red Wolves. Maybe even this year, we've seen crazier things happen. So a little side note there for your Washington football team in the middle of this Carolina discussion. But back to some departures here for Carolina, you re- might, might remember uh, Kyle Allen wasn't the only quarterback to leave Carolina this offseason. Of course, the Panthers released Cam Newton, which is kind of a big deal, I guess. Uh, They also had the retirement of linebacker Luke Kuechly. This is a tough, tough time to be a Panthers fan, I would imagine, for some. And then they had some other guys packing their bags as well. Greg Van Roten, the guard, signed a three-year deal with the New York Jets. Safety Eric Reed is out the door. Bruce Irvin agreed to a deal with the Seattle Seahawks. James Bradbury signed a three-year $43 million deal with the New York Giants. Mario Addison, the defensive end, agreed to a three-year deal with the Buffalo Bills. Vernon Butler also headed to the Bills. Uh, This is, oh, we have Gerald McCoy uh, was with this team last year as well. Uh, He's out, he's headed to Dallas to hang out with uh, Coach McCarthy. Uh, Tight end Greg Wilson. Um, Greg Wilson is not a player. He's Greg Olson, and he's old, and he is actually headed to the Seattle Seahawks' to continue to play football for some reason. So really a lot of changes here for this Panthers team. I think it's pretty obvious that new Panthers owner Dave Tepper had some patience with this team for a few seasons, but now he's ready to rebuild and kind of put his stamp on this team. That obviously means coaching in Matt Rule and Joe Brady coming in. It means a new quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, at least for right now. And it means turning over much of this roster. And that means that we're going to see a lot of new, young talent coming in. And so, Andrew, I think that takes us uh, to where we're going next. And that's the Panthers draft. What did they do to get a little bit younger and maybe a little bit better in the draft this year?
3: A couple of things that that I just wanted to comment on, because I had not taken a deep dive into the Panthers' free agent maneuverings and and one thing I love when a team that is rebuilding goes out and signs sort of high upside bargain level free agent deals with players so the deal for Stephen Weatherly who has a ton of potential he looked really good at times in Minnesota um, as a, a defensive end love it Ah, uh, to hear Whitehead, kind of an underrated player in Detroit, and I, I think he has a a chance to to really be impactful with this team. But I'm also really confused because they give a lot of money to wide receiver Robbie Anderson, who is somebody that probably isn't going to be in his prime when this team is expected to be doing their turnaround. Um, they also trade for Russell Okung. So Trey Turner was a pretty good guard uh, and to send him out to Los Angeles with the Chargers for a very, very veteran tackle in Russell Okung. <laughs> It seems like a, a win now move, and so I'm, I'm I, I always get a little confused about the direction of these teams when they make moves that seem counterintuitive um, to what they should be doing, but certainly very interesting. In the draft. Oh, yeah, Kyle. I was just
2: going to say, there are moves that make it feel like Teddy Bridgewater is the long-term answer. Because you give him a top option at wide receiver, and you try to reinforce the offensive line with someone like Okun. Like you said, if that was someone different than Bridgewater, I think those moves would make sense. You'd want him to have success. But I think most people view Bridgewater as probably the bridge to a draft pick or something next year. Maybe... You know, Maybe Bridgewater is is the long-term answer, but yeah, that's interesting to me because it seems like moves that you would make with more of an established quarterback in place. Absolutely.
3: And so you jump into the draft to, to see what they did, and they have the seventh pick overall in there. They got defensive lineman Derek Brown from Auburn, who, for me, has a really intriguing blend of size and power. He's going to dominate in the run game. He excels in taking on double teams and holding his point of attack. He's going to have a first step that will blow by a lot of interior offensive linemen out of their initial pass block set Uh, plays really hard. He has that quote unquote heavy hands uh, moves incredibly well for his size. There was a play. And I think I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast where you see number five flash and pick up a fumble and start outrunning skill players for 50 plus yards. Um, He can move for a dude, his size. And so uh, I had him as a top three player overall. And and so I thought that was really great value for them at number seven. Uh, And the second, Around they got Edge Yeter Gross Matos from Penn State. Uh, he was my edge for really exciting developmental athletic skill set. He's probably going to start as a situational pass rusher. And then you hope he fills out and develops better counters um, and can be a really a three down player. They had a second second round pick and they got safety Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois, the Salukis. Uh, he is a freak <laughs> athlete and could be a hybrid linebacker or a safety that just plays all over the place. Uh, really fun chess piece for this young defense. In the fourth round, they got Troy Pride Jr. out of Notre Dame. Uh, he's five eleven, but he actually plays a little bit shorter than that. He seems to be in the wide receivers' pockets. Uh, Does a fantastic job shadowing routes and really sticking to players. He has experience in both man and zone, plays both well. Uh, A little bit more instinctive than I would have thought. Uh, Quickness and fluidity are apparent. uh, Not necessarily a great tackler, but I thought he was really, really good value in the fourth. Uh, they got safety Kenny Robinson from West Virginia in the fifth. Defensive tackle Bravian Roy from Baylor in the sixth round. Uh, their head coach just came from Baylor, so not necessarily the defensive lineman I thought they were going to draft. That would be James Lynch, uh, but they they ended up getting their Baylor dude uh, in the sixth. And then quarterback Stanley Thomas Oliver from Florida International, of who who needs no introduction because of course we all know who that is. Um, Kyle, did you notice something in common with all seven of those players?
2: Uh, you're assuming I'm listening to you when you're talking. Okay.
3: Well, anyway, they're (laughs) all defensive players, all seven. They didn't draft an
2: offensive player in this this entire uh, draft. I, I did not realize that they did not select a single offensive player, which is honestly pretty remarkable considering Matt Rule and Joe Brady's arrival here. But yeah, this is clearly a team that drafted to fill needs as you look through this. Apparently defensive teams, as you said. Um, and that can work. This is not necessarily a criticism, but they lost uh, Vernon Butler and McCoy as big guys in the middle, so they filled that with Derek Brown. They lost Mario Addison and Bruce Irvin off the edge, so they added gross mottos. They moved on from Eric Reed, so they picked up Jeremy Chin. To me, this is a draft filled with boom or bust kind of players. Derek Brown was dominant as a run defender in college, but that skill set is valued a little bit differently in the NFL. So will he make a difference in the passing game? Will he continue to be that kind of a player? And then Grossmato's Chin, and uh, the corner Troy Pride are all excellent athletes with a ton of developmental upside. Chin has that steep step up in competition from Southern Illinois. So this is a swing for the fences kind of draft to me. So we'll see if this hits. Um, obviously, a, a great infusion of defensive players, as you mentioned. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch. But Andrew, do you think that this team got better or worse this off season. Yeah. I think
3: when you turn your team over to a young coach who has a long-term deal, you are giving them permission to tear it down and I'll give them credit. They still look like a team that could win a few games and play most teams pretty tough. The defense is going to be incredibly young and the offense is really just still give the ball to Christian McCaffrey and get out of his way. Um, But I do like Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore as a combo on the outside. DJ Moore is a sneaky, good player and Teddy Bridgewater will finally get to prove if he's worth the contract they gave him, Um, but this is one of those games the Packers absolutely have to win if they want to make the playoffs.
2: Yeah, I think the Panthers got worse for sure. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. And I'm with Andrew that this is exactly what they expected. I think they looked at the roster and knew that the group that they have was not going to take them where they wanted to go, so they decided to blow the whole thing up and really commit to kind of a rebuild here. I really like the decision of the offense here, some of the direction that they've made there. Giving Joe Brady, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore... Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey is going to be super, super fun to watch. Um, And I've always been a fan of Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm hoping that he has some success here, but even if he doesn't, this is a team that will have a chance to select someone like Trey Lance or Trevor Lawrence in 2021. So I think the Panthers might be real bad in 2020. I don't know, especially I think that's true on defense. And I think the offense will take some time to get going initially. But I think you're okay with this offseason for what it means for the future of this team if you're a Panthers fan. And that commitment to try to break free from mediocre teams year after year. Um, so I think, I think it's an okay offseason for them, but I do think that they did get worse. Uh, let's go ahead and flip the page here and talk about some Tennessee Titans offseason, Andrew.
3: Okay, well, a lot of moves going on here. Uh, they re-signed Titan Anthony Ferkser. Edge Reggie Gilbert, who we know, Uh, tight end Michael Pruitt, uh, linebacker Camille Coray, tackle Dennis Kelly, and also uh, two guys you might be familiar with, quarterback Ryan Tannehill, and they also franchise running back Derek Henry. So those were the important pieces to bring back. Um, They ended up losing in free agency. The first five players I'm going to mention, cornerback Logan Ryan, tight end Delaney Walker, Edge Cameron Wake... Kicker Ryan Suckup, linebacker Wesley Woodyard, all still available. So we, we, we don't know if if those players will end up back in Tennessee at any point, but certainly they've had an opportunity um, and nobody else has been interested. Uh, they did lose quarterback Marcus Mariota, running back Deion Lewis, tackled Jack Conklin. That was the big deal to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, defense lineman Austin Jackson, wide receiver Tajay Sharp, who went to the Vikings. Uh, in free agency, pretty small class coming in. Uh, quarterback Jonathan Joseph, the veteran, uh, tackled Ty Sambrello, Uh, Safety, Ibrahim Campbell, also Packer fans should be familiar with. And Edge, Vic Beasley, that was their big free agent signing. Um, But from a trade standpoint, they traded probably their best defensive player, that being defensive lineman Jarrell Casey, to the Denver Broncos for next
2: to nothing. And so that had me puzzled. I am slightly distracted because I did not realize Delaney Walker was still a free agent. So I was having my producer pull up some information on that really quickly. Um, but very interesting. Yeah, lots of players still on the open market there that have moved on from Tennessee. Um, they made some moves in the draft, though, to kind of compensate from the things that they did here um, as far as free agents and those losses. In the first round, they took Isaiah Wilson, the tackle from Georgia. and the second, they took Cornerback Christian Fulton from LSU. Running back Darrington Evans was their selection in the third round out of Appalachian State. The fifth round netted them. Defensive tackle Laryl Murchison, one of my biggest draft crushes in the whole process. Honestly, never heard of the guy. I'm sorry, Laryl. Um, out of North Carolina State. Quarterback Cole McDonald from Hawaii uh, went in the seventh, as well as Chris Jackson, the defensive back from Marshall. So this Titans class is is weird, weird to me. I don't love the value of Isaiah Wilson in round one, uh, but if you're the Titans and Derrick Henry is your offensive identity I get taking that big run blocker type like Wilson I really like the value of Fulton in round two I think he has a chance to be a really solid pro and then Evans is is super fun uh, but he's kind of that compliment to Henry I think he's more of a returner and a receiving back than a number two runner uh, but I could be wrong there I'll be interested to see his career progress we'll see how Tennessee ends up uh, using him and I know that they've had a lot of departures there around the running back position out Outside of um, the main guy there and Derrick Henry. So it will be interesting to see if, if there's any room for other running backs in that backfield at all. Uh, this class to me is fine. I don't get excited about it. I don't see anybody outside of Fulton really developing into a clear impact player here. Um, but I'm curious your thoughts on this class, Andrew. Yeah. So Isaiah Wilson, my notes on him were he's a
3: huge dude and he does exactly (laughs) what you would expect him to do. He doesn't move well. His mirror is suspect, but he will maul guys in the run game. If he gets his hands on a rusher in pass protection, he can absolutely stymie them. So when Isaiah Wilson started getting that first round hype, you know, I don't change my rankings once they're done, like once I've evaluated their film. Um, And so I was really puzzled by that. But there sometimes are guys that are better fits for teams than they are draft prospects. And Isaiah Wilson fits exactly what the Titans are looking to do um, as that just mauler at right tackle. Certainly he fills a need with Jack Conklin moving on. So I get it from a certain standpoint, but I don't love the value either. I thought Christian Fulton was one of the steals of the entire draft. I admit, I should have looked this up, but either cornerback four or five. So to get him in the second round is awesome. I think he can be able, Starter from day one, I think he's that good, um, and and certainly that pedigree of the LSU defensive backs. Even though I'm not supposed to be scouting the front of the jersey, um, he's a big guy with great athletic tools who also has some pretty good technique, and so I'm um, really interesting there. Good, good for them. I I didn't love the Darrington Evans pick. He, you know, he has good field vision, ability to make defenders miss but his slight frame won't push defenders forward or hold up well in pass protection. So um, to, to take him in the third round, expect him to step in and take over for Dion Lewis. It's fine, but you're, you're taking your best player off the field. And I I don't know. I mean, Darrington Evans, I, I, I think he's good if you get him in the fifth round and for the for the third round, I'm a, a little bit questioning that. Uh, Murchison, who who you know you raved about earlier, uh, <laughs> I did I did look at him. Uh, he can be explosive through gaps. He lacks the strength to hold up against the run game. Not really flexible to do well with pass rush counters, so for me he's just sort of a body and, and a rotational defense alignment. Uh, Cole McDonald is somebody I had a super big draft crush on, and I thought he could be a late round pick for the Packers before they ended up, taking Jordan Love and uh, just unbelievable raw tools. Crazy athlete, really fast, um, great with the ball in his hands, super big arm. A uh, lot of development needs to be done there. But if you're looking for a guy to step in and replace Marcus Mariota, a good start. Interesting, Marcus Mariota grew up in Hawaii. Cole McDonald played at Hawaii. And um, one of the funniest things you can do on Twitter is to look up what Cole McDonald looked like as an incoming freshman um and uh what he looked like when he graduated from college because he was very clean cut uh kind of you know the polo shirt i think in his incoming (laughs) and and he ends up with these long blonde dreadlocks by the end he looks like a created madden player um but just really really fascinating tools so if you're gonna have a developmental quarterback give me that guy
2: so cole mcdonald is like the the pre-COVID quarantine and then like the post-COVID quarantine, like the guy who hasn't like shaved in like months. Is that what what it is? Well, I don't
3: know. I haven't seen a picture of him, but I am wondering, you know, um, I, I don't know what Tennessee's agriculture is looking like, but I'm wondering if Cole McDonald wants a farm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. This is the stuff people come for, Andrew Mertig's draft breakdowns, including Cole McDonald's reference to having a farm and crazy hair this is what we're at um <laughs> <Dang.
3: laughs> uh, talking about rookie camp today
2: right right oh my goodness okay so we've made it through the titans barely um did they get better or did they get worse this offseason andrew
3: well, they're, they're really just running it back, right? You, you bring back Henry, you bring back Tannehill. They weren't really an overwhelmingly great team, but they did get hot at the right time. And so you're hoping that that momentum continues into this season. I just don't know what, you know, that, that last season was really reproducible. And I just I, I don't understand the move to just jettison Drell Casey for essentially nothing when it looked like they were making that move to open up salary cap and they haven't really used that cap room to do anything. And so, you know, maybe if they they made a late move and, and looked at Jadavion Clowney or something, I would have understood that a little bit more. But right now they're just sitting on the cap. And so you get rid of one of your best players and I don't care how good Jeffrey Simmons is going to be. And I do think he's going to be a great player. But it makes no sense to make that move when you're just giving out contracts that show you're all in on the present. So I think some internal improvement will mean that they probably stay the same rather than getting worse. But treading water may not be good enough in a division that should be a lot better with the Colts and Texans improving, as we've talked about.
2: Yeah, um, I got the old McDonald had a farm e i e i o song stuck in my head now. Thanks to you, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> the Titans off season, it was fine. I think that the Tennessee Titans really overperformed last season. I think that's the bottom line, especially in the playoffs. I think there's a ceiling to this team, and I don't think that they've added much to put them over the edge. This is a 500-football team in my mind, and big jumps from guys like A.J. Brown and uh, Johnny Smith would be really, really big for this offense. But I just don't see big jumps from a team that's led by Ryan Tannehill. Uh, They're going to be a fun team to watch, though, because I think, like you said, the AFC South could be one of the most competitive divisions in football. I think there are probably three eight and eight rosters in this division. And so it'll be fun to see who emerges here and if the Titans can be that team.
3: Yeah. And one scary thing, I I think out of the um, every so this is the last opponent for the Packers that that we're going to go through. And every team, I made a point to mention how the Packers match up with them. And I purposely didn't do it for the Titans because this team scares me. And that is because the Packers struggled with run-heavy teams, right? Like the 49ers gashed them twice, um, of course, famously. But really, all four losses last season came as a result of getting ground into the dirt. And the Titans do that probably better than any team in the NFL, including the 49ers. So... The, this is a scary matchup. Um, I, I think if you're talking about fun and entertainment, uh, you know Kenny Clark and the Smiths in this game uh, moving forward, trying to stop Derrick Henry is going to be fun. AJ Brown against Jair Alexander, that's a, a real yeah, fun matchup. That's fun. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. Um, but when we're looking at the schedule, uh, in Week 13, the Packers host the Eagles Sunday late afternoon. In Week 15, the Packers host the Panthers Sunday at to be determined which is scary um and week 16 the Titans and the Packers play in Lambeau Field on Sunday night football that'll be a good one um but that is all the time that we have for today thanks for sticking with us through this season preview this has been the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the Packaday Podcast if you like what we're doing. Happy two year birthday, Packaday Podcast. Uh, you can catch Kyle and myself every Friday, and we'll be back next week, hopefully, talking about training camp. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember. Whoa!